Amen. All other ground is sinking sand, and that's for sure. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 4, to the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 18. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. It's good to be back. I missed you last Sunday. I enjoyed the time that we had last weekend. As most of you know, Red and I were with a youth group reunion last weekend. A youth group that I was the youth pastor to 45 years ago, in 1973 and 74. I was amazed they would call me at 12 years of age. I really was, but they did. Actually, I was 22 at that time, and uh, most of the young people that we were really close to were only about four or five years younger than us, so when we got with them this past weekend, they looked about our age. Matter of fact, many of them had many more grandchildren than, than Red and I do, because we just have one, but uh, it, was, it was fun to be with them. But you know what the, the amazing thing was, was to see a group of about 30 young people, we kept calling them young people, they're in their 50s and Everything in some of them, they're 60s now, but everyone, the ones that we saw, the ones who were there, are still walking with Christ 45 years later. And, and they did that in spite of the youth pastor they had. I can tell you that right now because I was just a kid, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but God graciously and sovereignly blessed that time, and so it was fun to be together. We got to be with a senior pastor that was there then, Dr. Bob Marsh who is now 84 and still as sharp uh, with the word as he ever was. And so we just got to spend some time together, and it was, it was such a glorious time. But we missed you. I missed being here for the senior recognition. That's always one of my favorite uh, Sundays of the year, and I, I hated not being here for this group of seniors. We've got an amazing group of seniors uh, this year. We're going to miss them dearly as they graduate and move on to college and, and will only be back sporadically. So I hated missing that. Uh, I'm glad we had that, though, because we had to delay the Lord's Supper to this week, where it normally would have been last week, uh, because I didn't want to miss that. Somebody said, did you not trust Pastor Todd to do the Lord's Supper? And I said, no, I trust him totally, but he had to do senior recognition. He had to preach. I felt like he had enough to do on last Sunday morning. So we just moved it to today. And I am glad I get to come to the Lord's table with you this morning. But before we do that, and as a part of that, because it does fit in with what we want to talk about this morning, uh, we come to the end of the fourth chapter of, of Romans. Uh, we've meticulously moved through those first four chapters over the last uh, months and, and uh, almost a year now, and trying to, to work out and, and understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he comes to this chapter, and there, there really is a turning point here. There, there's almost like a pinnacle here of one section that he is built for, for all these four chapters. He's, he's come along and he said, I, I want you to know that man is depraved, man is sinful, man is in rebellion against God, and he spent all of chapter 1 after talking about the glorious nature of the gospel with showing that man is a sinner. Doesn't matter if he's a pagan worshiping false gods. Doesn't matter if he's a moralist trying to do his very best and live his very best. Doesn't matter if he's a religious person who is following after religious traditions and religious rituals. If he is not in Christ Jesus and trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the same as the pagan. They're all the same. They're all in rebellion against God, refusing to hear the truth of God through his word 
and indeed through his son. And so he dealt with that. Then he started dealing carefully after chapter 3, particularly where he showed the absolute sinfulness of man and rebellion of man. He started dealing with the concept of justification by faith alone. That you don't do it by earning it. You don't do it by trying to get it some other way. You get it by putting your trust and your faith and your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is all. There's no other way. There's there's no option. There's no optional way to be able to get to God. It's only through the way that He has prescribed. It's only through the way of the cross. It's only through the way of the blood of Jesus Christ sacrificed on that cross. And Paul says, I want you to know that. And anticipating what some of them might have said, like, Paul, how did you come up with this new idea of justification by faith alone? He very carefully takes us back in chapter 4 to show us there's not a thing new about this. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith in the coming Messiah just like we are by trusting in the come Messiah Messiah that's already come. There's no difference. There, There is justification, rightness with God, Declaration of of not guilty before God comes only by His grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no exception to that. None whatsoever. So in this last part of the chapter, last week Pastor Todd dealt with verses 12 through 17 and he talked about the promise that was given to Abraham and he talked about the promises that we enjoy because of the work of Christ and the work of God in Abraham's life and Abraham believing God today he he talks about the hope listen to verse 18 and I want you to listen to something as, as we read these last verses of this chapter I want you to listen to something that just doesn't necessarily to our ears ring true but I hope I can show you why it is true when it's done for, okay? We talked about this a little on Wednesday night. Hear the word of the Lord. In hope, he, that is Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should be, become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Didn't have his own righteousness. Didn't have his own goodness. Didn't qualify himself before God because he did something. But he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Listen to this. This is good. But for ours also. It was true of Abraham, but it's not just true of Abraham. What he said about Abraham is absolutely right. And he did count Abraham's faith as righteousness. But he said, it's not written just for Abraham. It's written for you and me too. It's so that we might know that when we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is counted to us as righteousness. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we who know no righteousness by faith in him might become the very righteousness of God, Paul to the Corinthian Christians. Paul said it's for our benefit also our sake also 
It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Hear it carefully. When the Apostle Paul writes these letters, going back thinking about Abraham, he starts out by saying, here's what he had. He had faith in Christ. He knew the promises of God that had been given on the basis of that faith. And because of that, he had hope. He had hope. Things didn't appear like they had been promised. Things weren't exactly like he thought they were going to work out. As a matter of fact, if you had asked Abraham, he would have said, this is how I think things will work out, and this is how I'm planning on things working out. But when it came right down to it, it didn't work out like Abraham planned or like Abraham thought. It didn't work out like Abraham reasoned through and said, surely this is how God is going to do it. It didn't happen that way at all. But he didn't lose hope. And Paul even says in hope, he believed against hope. He believed against hope that he would become the father of a nation, the father of many peoples, a father of multitudes, like the stars in the sky, God had said to them. That's how your offspring are going to be. But let me tell you something. When you're 100 years old, and your wife is 90 years old, and you have still not born a son together, not even one together, it does not appear rationally and reasonably that there's going to be this promise fulfilled in his life. But Abraham believed that it would be against hope. He he had hope that it would be against hope, uh, against what was apparent, against what might have been. He waited on the Lord. Paul even says he he had faith. He didn't waver. He didn't weaken. There there are several things I think we see in here that I think are important to see, and then we'll come back to that perhaps strange statement that's made here first thing i want you to see that's important about abraham's faith is that it was faith in god's promises it wasn't faith in his reasoning it wasn't faith in being able to figure out how he could fulfill although they did get a time in his life where he tried to fulfill the promise apart from god didn't he he really did and and john paul doesn't say anything about that here don't you find that it's a little bit strange? That here, Abraham is, he, he, he had been promised to be the father of many nations. He had no children. Sarah was barren. He was without child. He was 100 years old. And so Sarah sent Hagar, her handmaiden, into Abraham. They bore a son, Ishmael, and he had this son. And, and Paul, in this passage, says nothing about it. You've you got to wonder, did Paul know his Old Testament? You've got to wonder, did, did Paul just conveniently leave that out and and so we have a very glaring error here in the scripture no not the case at all in either one of those what we have here is Paul saying even in the midst of struggle even in in what I would consider sinful conditions when he took Hagar and, and bore Ishmael when that took place 
Abraham was still trusting God even though he was trying to help God out a little bit. And, and there's ever indication that when, when, Adam, when Abraham repented of that sin, repented of that disobedience, that he was, he was forgiven for that and it was covered by the righteousness of Christ. It was covered by the, the justification that came through faith and that sin was forgiven. And I think we have here Paul saying something very significant to you and me. And that is that yes, we sin and yes, we fail and yes, Yes, we try to do for God what we don't think God can do for us. We try to help him out all the time. But once it's repented of and dealt with and moved forward, God puts that behind him. There's forgiveness there. And I think, I think Paul is just saying, I want you to understand, Abraham was forgiven from what we would have considered a fairly major sin of disobedience before God. But Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God, and his faith was in God's promise. Second thing I want you to see is characteristic of Abraham's faith is really what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British expositor of another generation, said. He said, Abraham's faith was based on the bare word of God and on nothing else whatsoever. When we say he believed in the promises of God, that's true. He was, he was called by God in, in Ur of the Chaldees. He was told to follow and, and go to another land that God would give to him. And he followed, he followed God. He trusted God. But the, the truth is, those promises are all contingent, all, all based upon the bare word of God and nothing else whatsoever. Even when things didn't look like Abraham thought they should look, he trusted God's word. I don't know about you, but I think there's a strong word to us here. There's a strong teaching to us here that we as 21st century Christians living 2,000 years after Christ and, and several thousand years after Abraham, that we need to learn. And that is we should never turn our focus away from trusting God's word. His bare word alone. His bare word apart from anything else whatsoever. But trusting in God's word. Trusting in God's promises that he has made to us. Now, now you've got to be careful that you're sure that you're trusting in the promise that is made in the word and not pulling something out of context and saying, okay, I claim that for myself when, when that's not what the word is saying. But, you know, things like we, we heard this morning, you know, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to Christ. There's a promise there that Christ will be our rock and our salvation. There's a promise in that hymn that comes right out of Scripture that the choir sang, and I'm, I'm glad Jeff asked the question this morning because I was going to ask it if he didn't. Uh, is everything well with your soul? There's a promise in God's Word to you and me that if we are in Christ, things will be well with our soul, even when storms rage about us. Storms that are scary. Storms that are destructive. Storms that, that seem to emotionally and mentally and physically and sadly even sometimes spiritually seem to tear us apart. It can be well with our soul when our faith, when our trust is in Christ and in God's word alone. Abraham believed God. That's why he's included over there in the, the Hall of Fame of Faith over in the book of Hebrews. He, 
He, he trusted God. He believed God. And by believing God, by trusting God, he was, it was counted to him as righteousness. There's a third thing about Abraham's faith that we see in these passages we just read. And that is that Abraham's faith and the vitality of that faith, Paul points out clearly, is that he believed God when the external evidences were actually sharply to the contrary. It wasn't just that it didn't look like it was going the right way. It looked like it was going the opposite way. Like everything was totally upside down and, and turned inside out, and, and all the evidences were that it was contrary to what God's promise was going to be. But Abraham continued to trust God. said he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body as good as dead and his wife barren, Sarah, the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbel- no unbelief made him waver. He grew strong in his faith. He was fully convinced that God was able to do everything that he had promised. His faith continued to be solidly in what God had said. So important for you and me. You may be sitting here this morning saying, you know, my life is certainly not going like I planned it. And it's not even going like I think maybe God planned it or wants it to be. I'm... I'm off over here somewhere. I'm off over here somewhere. I'm, I'm going that direction instead. I don't, I don't know where many of you are. I don't know all of you. Well, I'm telling you today that the only sure place to find wellness in your soul is in putting that trust in Jesus Christ. There's no other place. And Abraham, though he though he stumbled and though he fell and though he had sin, just like we do. Gives me a little bit of hope because he's a great man. He was a father of the, uh, father of the nation of Israel. He was father of the Jewish nation. He, 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 was, he was a great man in faith, but he still struggled, still stumbled, still disobeyed, and he still sinned. God shows us here that that sin was forgiven. That sin was, that sin when repented of and and confessed is as though it never even happened. As far as the mind of God is concerned. As far as the forgiveness and the grace of God is concerned. God forgave and God counted his faith as righteousness. That's just a... It's just a glorious truth that the apostle wants us to see here. And he says, I want you to know it's not just for him, it's for us too. I think that the other characteristic of Abraham's faith that's so significant here and so important is just the sheer assurance that that faith gave him. Just the sheer assurance, trust, certainty that it brought about in his life without wavering. He didn't waver. He didn't weaken. He grew stronger in his faith. He was fully convinced that, that God was, was going to carry out what he had promised. When you think about those great truths that Paul is pointing us to here, 
you recognize that there's something there, and he even says it's not just for Abraham's sake, it's for our sake also. You realize that something big is happening. Abram was a man whose very name contradicted all natural appearances. He was Abram to begin with. And Abram is a name that means father of many. Can you imagine the caravan jokes going on? And there's old Abram, the father of many. Ha, 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 ha. He ain't got any, much less many. They, they laughed at that. And then one day God comes to Abraham and says, or comes to Abram and says, Abram, I'm going to change your name. Give you a new name. Abraham said, okay, Lord, what's it going to be? He said, I want you to go out and tell the people I'm changing your name to Abraham. Abraham, not, not the father of many, but the father of a nation, the father of a vast multitude. I can almost only imagine what the look on Abram's face was when God said that. God, I don't have any children. I'm old. I'm getting older. And you want me to go out and tell the people that are coming with me, following you, following me, following you, Tell them that now you've, you've decided to give me a new name and it's just the name of vast multitudes. They're going to laugh me out of leadership. They'll laugh me out of the caravan. Maybe they would have expected his name to be Abekog. Abekod. Abekod was, would have been a, a familiar name, would have been a good name because he already had Ishmael through Hagar and, and Abekod means the father of one. So when he went out and, and told the people, okay, God has given me a new name. I've got to tell you what my new name is. I'm sure they all expect it to be a Bekod, the father of one. And he said, he said, it's Abraham. And I imagine the stunned look that Abraham had when God told him that was his new name was multiplied by thousands who heard that among the people with him. The irony of God. And yet God said, that promise is going to be fulfilled. You are going to be the father of multitudes, the father of many. And it did become effective through Isaac. When Isaac was born, matter of fact, if you remember, when God told Abraham and Sarah they were going to have a child together, what did they do? They laughed. They thought it was a joke too. But it happened. And the nation grew. And the, the multitudes began to expand. And folks, even the fact that we're going to find out in, in Paul, through Paul in the book of Romans, that you who believe in Jesus Christ are a true child of Abraham. It hadn't stopped. It hadn't ceased. It continues to multiply. It continues to grow. It continues to be visible in every respect. Paul says, I want you to understand something. This is told to you because you are affected by it directly. It's for our sake, and it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The resurrection is that pinpoint. 
that, that res, the resurrection is that thing that says, this is true. Your faith can be counted as righteousness because he died on that cross. He was delivered up for your trespasses, your sins. And then on the third day after dying on the cross, he was raised for our justification. Now think about it. When Abraham was floundering, was forgiven, was cleansed, it was expunged from the record, if you will, as far as God was concerned. But when Abraham was, was thinking, that is, a, that is a really hard thing to believe, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. But that's a hard thing to believe. Can you imagine how the apostles felt? In those last few hours when Jesus was trying to tell them, I'm going to die. I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And, and, and that's part of God. That is God's plan. And then they saw him hanging on a cross and they saw him dying. And, and yet he had told them the promises of God would be fulfilled and God would, God would raise him up and would start a worldwide mission that had never been, like, had never been seen before. Imagine the disciples saying, yeah, right. They even said, we, we left everything. We gave up everything to follow you. We, we, we gave up our homes. We gave up our fishing. We gave up everything to follow you. You tell us you're going to die? All the time he was saying, on the third day I'm going to be raised. But they couldn't comprehend that. That, was, that went against reason. They, they'd, never, they, they'd never really thought about it. I mean, they'd seen Lazarus raised from the dead, but that, somehow that was different because Jesus was the one doing it. And now Jesus was the one dying. And they'd never seen anybody of their own accord, if you will, to come back from the dead. And so they're thinking about that and they're saying, how can that be? How can we believe that? How can we trust in that? Yet it happened. And, and, and so the disciples then believed when they saw him. Thomas doubted just a bit and said, I got to see the scars, I got to see the nail prints, I got to see his side, I got to see all that. But when Jesus appeared to him, he fell on his face and said, My Lord and my God. There is a wavering. And doubt many times can lead to greater trust. It did with the apostles, it did with Abraham. It can in your life. It can in my life. There, there are times when we obviously doubt what God is doing or if God is doing anything. And Paul's word to us here as he comes to the end of this discussion of justification by faith alone and, and righteousness, it comes by faith in Christ alone. Paul would say to you and me, so I want you to understand, this is for us. This is for us when we're sitting in the middle of circumstances that we don't like. Don't start getting angry at God. Don't start saying, well, God just doesn't care. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're working in this even when I can't see it. I'm going to trust that your word is effective and effectual even when I can't see it all the time. Which may be a lot of the time. I read somewhere last week, I can't remember who said this. I wish I could. I'd give him uh, attribution. I'd give him credit. But he said, you know, have you ever thought about all those times you're praying for God to get you out of a circumstance? It may be that God has you in that circumstance so you can learn his provision and his grace. 
and his strength. He didn't want you out of it. He put you in it so that you learn to trust him more. So that you learn to look to him more. I mean, when those disciples came to this table that, for that last supper, when they, when they gathered around the table of the Lord, and, and he said, listen, this, is my, this, bread, this bread is my body. It represents my body. It's given for you. And he broke it. And he said, here, take it and eat it, uh, each one of you, and do this in remembrance of me. Do this because I am who I am. And I know they took the bread and said, why is he doing this? Then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant which poured out for you and it's about to be spilled in just a few hours on Calvary's cross. It's, it's going to be poured out for you. This is the blood of the new covenant. And, and, and the new covenant is going to give you a new insight into what it means to know God. And you, you know the disciples said, what's he talking about? His body, this being his body broken, this being his blood shed. What, what's he talking about? We don't want it. And, and Peter even said, Lord, they may all deny you, and they may all run from you, and they may all be willing to let you die, but I'm not. I will go to the death with you, only to deny him a few hours later. They didn't understand all this. There was a, there was a loss of human hope. There was no understanding of this. They, they couldn't grasp why Jesus going to the cross was necessary. For your sins to be forgiven and for my sins to be forgiven, but even more than having our sins forgiven, for you to become the very righteousness of God when you have no righteousness of your own? They didn't, they didn't understand all that. Until afterward. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, which was Pentecost Sunday, was just last Sunday, celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon that body of believers that, that energized the church in unbelievable ways, then they began to see just a glimpse of what Jesus was talking about at this table. And I've often said, I'm so glad that you and I have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the second time. The first time was all confusion. Who's going to be greatest? Who's going to, who can sit at your right hand? Who can sit at your left hand? Who's going to be the mightiest in your kingdom? And they didn't understand all that. The second time they came together after seeing the death and the burial of the Lord, but after seeing his resurrection, they said, ah, now we're beginning to get a glimmer of understanding of what he meant. And we come today, in some cases, to the table of the Lord, hoping against hope. Things just aren't like we think they should be or could be or we want them to be. But we come to this table saying, Lord, in this table we find hope. Find hope in your, in your sacrifice. We find hope in your resurrection. We find hope in your cross. And we trust in you. We trust in you. We have faith in you. Even when reason looks contrary. That's not saying Christianity is an unreasonable faith. Don't hear that. It's a very reasonable faith. But sometimes our reason gets so convoluted 
that it seems like this is the only reasonable thing to do. And God said, no, obedience to me is the, is the right thing to do. Trusting me, that's the real reasonable thing to do. Not disobedience, not sin. Yeah, but Lord, I, I can't control the circumstances I find myself in. Jesus said, that's okay, trust me in those circumstances. And I'll teach you what it means to walk with me. We come to this table to remember. We come to this table to restore hope. And we come to this table to say, Lord God, we look forward to the coming of Christ. Would you pray with me? As we come to this table this morning, I, I remind you of several things. First of all, it's a, it's a table for believers. And as the deacons make their way down here to serve. It's a table for believers. It's not Grace Baptist table. It's not the Baptist table. It's for every disciple of Jesus Christ who's in good standing with their church. So if you're here just because you're not a member of Grace, doesn't mean you can't come to this table. And I invite you to it. We come this morning to reflect and to think. We come to confess, to examine. We come to remember His word of truth and to be settled in it. We come to say, Thank you, Lord for giving yourself in our place, taking our sin upon yourself, that we might not only be forgiven, that we might be made righteous, be clothed in your righteousness, given righteousness. Fully made righteous won't come until the end, but it's as sure as anything is. Father, as we share in this table, share in this meal, help us remember. Lord, we ask you to build our hope and strengthen us in your word, in your truth, in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. You continue to pray as we prepare to serve these elements.